2: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW, Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey
1: everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I am Steve Saipa. I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos and Ken Levin and Thomas Henderson. How's everyone doing this week? I'm doing well. Pretty good.
3: I have no rooting interest in the football games, so I don't have to care, which is nice.
1: Yeah, I was going to say it's 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 a weird sports time right now. There's really, I mean, we have like the Rangers and or Islanders and or Devils, depending on. Where you're from and who you're rooting for, but I mean, other than that, there's really just not much happening. Hey, yep. the,
3: my my Seattle Kraken are exceeding expectations. My Seventy Sixers are playing like the best team in basketball, and Sierra, you're
1: a Seattle fan.
3: Yeah, I wanted to get into hockey, and I didn't root for a want to root for a James Dolan team, so I said, uh, let me root fair. for the expansion team. Also, they have sick ass <laughs> logo, the fucking it Kraken. Is. It's great, so
1: um my sister is a las vegas knights fan and it brings yeah. our family so much shame so much shame. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh i will take my 10 seconds to say uh, give joel mp the mvp immediately and if he doesn't get one this year it's bullshit and mm-hmm. and discussion
1: all right um so promote extend trade this week I don't think this is the case, but are any of you guys Brazilian and/or Portuguese? No, not the last time I checked. Mm. All right, so today is a ho- not a holiday, but like a day of uh, a special observance day for all of our Brazilian listeners out there. Mm. Uh, it is Dia da Saudade, which is translates the Day of Saudade, and Saudade is a Portuguese word, it doesn't have an exact translation, but it's something that A, as millennials and B, as Mets fans, we can really understand. It hits hard. But it's basically like a romanticized, more intense version of, like, nostalgia. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, what saudades are we going to promote, extend, or trade? You know, the things that we really would want to bring back, things that we, you know, kind of want to bring back or things that just, eh, whatever. So first we have the who let the Mets out era Mets, like the 1998 to 2001 Mets or so, with the black uniforms, Magpiazza trade, the best infield ever, Bobby V, all those things. Next we have the team, the time, the Mets era, from like 2005 to 2009, you have David and Jose, Pedro and Johan, uh, the birth of SNY and Gary Keith and Ron. The end of Shea Stadium, beginning of City Field. And then last, we have the Panic City era, from like 2014 to 2018 or so, where you have Harvey, Wheeler, Matt Syndergaard, DeGrom, all these guys are blossoming. And you have Folk Hero, Big Sexy, Folk Hero, Wilmer Flores, Folk Hero, Cespedes, Terry's ass in the jackpot. All of these things. So... What are we promoting extending and trading? Because as awesome. awesome as all these things were, all, all those errors were awesome. They all did kind of end, you know, just short of the finish line. All of them have their own distinct kind of what ifs. So I think that they all kind of fit that category of saudade.
3: I feel like... If, you, if we could get back the, uh, I don't even remember what you call, said, called the error, because I don't remember the marketing at all, but if you could get back that 2006 to 2010 team mm. and like run the simulation, run it all again, I think they actually have a pretty decent chance of winning a title.
0: Oh yeah, they should have won one.
3: Right, like, if they get, like, just I know it, it's a meme for years that the Mets always complain about their injury luck, but objectively that 2016 got absolutely fucked in the playoffs uh, yeah. by injuries and like,
0: and they would have sh- they should have won anyway <laughs> with the yep, injuries. They should have, yeah. Uh, also, that would mean there. David
3: Wright gets his ring.
0: Um, is I I think this is a tough one because there's kind of. For, like the ninety-eight to two thousand one Mets are like my formative year Mets. Like that's my childhood team. I was four to six. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like that's growing up. Those are the teams that I remember first. But objectively, the oh five to 06, 07, 8 teams were better. So like I feel like they would have a better chance to win if you brought them back. And I feel like they would have. Like those two thousand those ninety-nine to two thousand teams were good. But they got to the World Series. They weren't really a match for the Yankees. Like, they were worse than the Braves. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they, they, they were legitimately not the best teams out there. But in 06, they were probably the best team in baseball. Uh, 07 and 08 had dumb collapses that they would have done way better in the playoffs otherwise. Like, it's just there's more, to the, there's more meat on the bone for those teams. And then the, the Panic City Mets, it, yeah,
2: it's fine.
1: Yeah, I feel like individually, that era of Mets, the Panic City Mets, like you have the biggest stars. I mean, Harvey was, I don't know if he was the best pitcher in baseball for like that year or two, but he was close. I mean, Beltron was, was damn good. Like, was right? was. Well, I, who mean, used, I yeah. mean, more, more so in, in the sense that, like, obviously, you know, David Wright was David Wright and Jose Reyes was Jose Reyes and Johan was probably the best pitcher in baseball that year. But and if
0: you're famous, though. I get you.
1: Right, like, it just, seeing, like, all these guys, I guess also it kind of is, is a little different for us from we're following them from literally draft day to this guy is the guy now, you know? But, like, that era, it feels like it had, like, the most individual bright stars, just one after another, after another, after another, just churning them out. But at the same time, I don't know, that kind of also felt like... The team itself was the least impressive. You had all these like stars and a lot of star power and these individual players, but you know, 2015 and 2016 were the only two good years. And then everything around them just kind of felt like crap. Yeah, Whereas, that's, what, that, that's what I mean. Like, the
0: 2017 Mets sucked. <laughs> like, yeah. That was not fun. It immediately got not fun again
1: right at least the other eras you know in the late 90s and 2000s i mean that kind of same situation like it got really not fun really quick but i don't know it just felt again same thing like you were saying like those are i think the formative our formative years for the most part you know lucas notwithstanding
3: yeah i mean for me my and i was a little older than you guys would have been for like the early 2000s mets but my first real baseball I watched games before, but the first time I really got into baseball was the two thousand six run.
1: Mm-hmm. So. also I think that s n y has a big influence on all this because you could literally watch every single game whereas mm-hmm. beforehand, like you know obviously on weekends you would have the games on, but the games are not always on television before you know beforehand and were they
3: not i, I mean i don't i don't remember obviously. and
1: you would have like the weekend games would be on like channel 11 or channel 5 whatever it was. it'd be all and, over the place right then there would, like, some games would be on fox sports some games would be on espn you know it was a lot more difficult and and honestly i don't know if every single game was televised you know in order to you, you would have to listen if you wanted to you know listen to every single game but as a kid like yeah
3: that's kind of crazy to think about right because in my mind i can't imagine a a mech game not being broadcast on on tv like yes yeah. <laughs> or like on that's easily wild. accessible tv
1: right? that's that's crazy I agree that's honestly it's why i like baseball the most out of any i mean there's a million reasons why but one of the things mm. that i love about baseball is that like it doesn't matter you know except obviously the the winter but It doesn't matter spring, summer, fall, like you come home from work or or whatever. And like you can always count on there's just a game on, you know, you could watch it with. uh, And that's play four times a week. Mm. Right. (laughs) Exactly. You can really watch the game and and concentrate on it. You could just put it on the background and do whatever you want. But there's always a game on. And before SNY, like you didn't really always have that. And then obviously, obviously, also, there's, you know, other eras of Mets baseball the worst team money could buy and the lovable loser Mets and the, the 1986 Mets. But yeah, but we, they won. Like, right. they, get them out of here. They, they
0: that's not, we don't, I don't want to bring them back. They won already. It's fine. Give someone else their flowers. <laughs> I mean, you okay. could also
1: say they should have won more. And they, you know, well, the 86 team should have. Yeah.
3: I mean, by their own admission, it seems pretty obvious any time the team drags them back into the spotlight. They're like, guys, please, someone else win so we can stop doing this. (laughs) Like begging you.
0: They they need another World Series winner for that alone, almost, to literally make another commercial. Running out of
1: 1969, guys. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So, well, hopefully some of the players that we're going to be talking about this week are key to the future Mets dynasty, in which they will win just, you know, World Series after World Series, like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. Um, we're going to obviously continue our 2023 top prospect countdown. Last week, reviewed um, we reviewed prospects 15 to 11. And that was right-handed pitcher Joel Diaz, third baseman Jacob Raymer, outfielder Stanley Consuegra, right hand pitcher Mike Vassel, and right-handed pitcher Calvin Ziegler. So we're finally now in the top 10, the cream of the crop, the best plays in the system. And starting out— Where are they? Well, I guess we'll discuss—well, God, let's hope so.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> uh, we'll start out with number 10, right-handed pitcher Dominic Hamill. Hamill was drafted in 2021, um, third round out of Dallas Baptist University. Originally, he went to a community college near his hometown, uh, Yavapi Community College. Then he transferred to Dallas Baptist in his junior year. Um, So, so numbers there. Obviously, he lost an entire year because of COVID, so that sucks. But uh, he had a cumulative 428 ERA in 111 innings with a 3.3 walk rate and a 13.2 strikeout rate. Uh, Dallas Baptist, they're very analytically advanced. Um, You know, they have a reputation of being on the cutting edge of new baseball technology and and new schools of thought regarding baseball philosophy and everything. And, you know, either Dominic Hamill already had, and it just kind of had gone unnoticed or he developed there, whatever uh, very... Impressive pitch characteristics, and they have helped him jump up the prospect list. Um, He pitched in St. Lucie and Brooklyn this past season. He posted a combined 325 ERA and 119 innings with 83 hits allowed, 54 walks, and 145 strikeouts. Um, Four-seam fastball, it's about average velocity for a right-hander, like 91-94, but it has well above average, you know, basically elite um, spin spin numbers. It averaged last season when he was in St. Lucie uh, 2,460 RPM, which is basically almost 200 RPM higher than the Major League Average last season. And it peaked as high as 2,560, which is, like, you know, crazy. Obviously, we only have, like, broad stroke numbers, so we don't have, like, the more – um, cutting edge things like spin efficiency or, or seam shifted wake, like those kinds of things. But based on on the fact that it has you know insane numbers up in the zone, I think it's safe to say that it's you know backspin and and the pitch is like rising life. Um, his best secondary is a slider. Same thing; it has above average spin rate. Um. It's a low 80s pitch, and then it has about 2,700 to 2,900 RPM of basically sharp vertical drop, and then a little bit of horizontal movement. Um, his curveball, same thing, lots of spin, lots of movement. And really, his main issue right now, Hamill, is his command. You know, Basically, all of his pitches have a lot of spin, which means they have a lot of movement which means that they're harder to command. Um, this past season, his walk rate was, it wasn't disastrous. You know, 11.4% walk rate, 4.1 walks per nine. That's not horrible and nothing like that. But between three and four is optimal. Below three is great. And, you know, just would would want him to cut back on a few walks here and there, shave it down by a little bit, and, you know, you're you're all good there. There's a lot to like with Hamill.
4: Yeah,
3: yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of Hamill. I'll probably have another bold prediction about him this year, like I did last year, and it'll probably be wrong again, like it was last <laughs> year.
1: But I know your prediction you know, has, was was that you know he's gonna or can be an exceptional reliever. Yeah, and I and still... I know other people have said that and see that as like his ultimate role. I don't see it. Not that he's not not that he could be that but i don't see the reason why you'd want him he has not done anything to warrant being moved from starting pitching you know
3: sure and i don't i don't disagree. like he's not looked prohibitively bad as a starter right he it's not like he breaks down in the fourth inning every time it's not like he's walking six dudes per nine um at the same time i think there's enough questions that i'm not confident he's going to be a starter um lack of a third pitch, the control still isn't great, things like that. Um, and he's a little bit older. So yeah. that that was kind of my argument for why, look, you can put him in the bullpen as like a multi-inning guy, like you don't need to make him a one-inning middle reliever, but you can utilize him as a fireman, like a Seth Lugo type role. That's something that basically every team in baseball is doing. Um, his stuff will play up there and he should move faster and then you get to use his uh, I mean, uses proverbial bullets more in the majors than uh, uh, languishing in the minors, because like I said, he's, he's a little bit, he's not like old, old, but he's on the older side for, for a real prospect.
1: Yeah, that's a good thing to mention that I bring up was basically he was a senior signing, you know, mm-hmm. he, two years in community college and he transferred to uh, Dallas Baptist in his junior year. But. Because of COVID, you know everything got shut down. So he went back in what would have been his fourth year, but technically NCAA eligibility, like basically just snapped and made 2020 go away. So technically he was still a junior, even though it was his fourth year. But yeah, he was like 23, 24 this past season, which is getting a little long in the tooth for him. Yeah, not 30, right. but yeah. <laughs> I would agree more with that
0: if the Mets had more pitching prospects. But they just they they don't yeah like like I think as of right now he's in two in the system as a pitching prospect so as a starting pitching prospect so I don't really know how you could put him in the pen now you know what I mean if he was six or seven then I was like okay sure because you have other guys but the Mets have an old rotation and they keep having to spend money on it because there's no one around to get called up to replace these guys who go in free agency and stuff. And not that you should have replaced DeGrom in free agency, I mean, in your system, unless you have another star coming up, but or another really high-end prospect coming up. But it would be nice if, even if he ends up as a 4 or 5 starter, that'll be money that they don't have to spend on a 4 or 5 starter that they could spend on Otani or Machado or whatever. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, even if he throws a handful of innings and he's like not really that great and he's eh that's still a pretty big win.
0: Yeah, and like let's say you bring him up as a starter and it doesn't work, then you could just put him in the bullpen then. It's oh. it's not like it, it, it's not like he has it would take a little bit of a learning experience, I'm sure, and we saw it with like David Peterson this past season that he struggled with the transition, but also maybe Hamill won't struggle with the transition. You never know. But I would keep him as a starter for now until you get more guys in the system who leapfrog him, basically. Sure.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much how I look at it. I mean,
5: generally speaking, I think a lot of teams should make the decision sooner to specialize, but like you said, there's there's no real depth there to uh, to pull from. Yeah. So ideally, you'd like to be able to use, um, you know, say he gains a little on the fastball and can really lean into the, the high spin stuff in short bursts and relief. Ideally Mm -hmm. um, you'd want to play towards that or, you know, maybe chase that performance. Uh, If you have guys behind him who, you know, can backfill his role as a starter, but uh, the Mets are not in a position to do so.
0: (laughs) Yeah. they, They just aren't.
1: So. Yep. Maybe in a year or three. All right. um, Now, next, coming in at number nine, is shortstop Ronnie Mauricio. Here we go. His placement at nine caused a lot of uh, moaning and (laughs) gnashing of teeth among (laughs) the readers. Not all of them, but a a vocal minority. Um, So before we get to that and why he's ranked nine... a little bit you know, about Ronnie He was he was signed as an international free agent In 2017 Basically he was the Mets main guy that year And he is coming off of a season This year where he hit 259, 296 uh, 472 In 123 games With the Binghamton Rumble Ponies He hit 26 homers He stole 20 bases And he drew 24 walks To 125 strikeouts If you want to add in his 50 games in the uh, Dominican Winter League, then you can add five more homers to that. Ten more stolen bases, ten more walks, and 43 more strikeouts. And nobody doubts, none of us here doubt that Ron Russo has insane tools. And he legit could be like a 30-30 shortstop if everything worked out, but... At this point, really, there's no indication that the things that need to to click for him to, like, take that next step are are clicking. You know, his pitch recognition is poor. There's a lot of strikeouts. There's a lot of weak, you know, ground balls and weak uh, pop flies. You know that's that's not great it's not the end of the world in and of itself because he could then supplement that with like a decent amount of walks but then he hasn't done that either and it's just it's not good we all want to see him succeed obviously we all want him to to turn into the next you know uh uh, troy to or manny machado but just nothing in his performance this year, last year, has really given any of us the the confidence that he is moving in the right direction. And that is the biggest issue. And I think that's the, the source of the big disconnect in how people see Mauricio. The tools are there, absolutely. But the performance is not the performance has not really gotten better so you can't really say that he's been making much progress and the one thing that he does need to like improve on is the hardest thing as a baseball player to improve on
3: so it's a thing that dudes don't really get that much better at frankly yeah like dudes add power it's into
5: like your, your hardwire <laughs> yes your, your,
3: it's your
0: like firmware. how your brain works almost it's, right.
3: it's a vision thing it's a it's a brain and, thing uh, like, it's and and it's all like there's a uh, people, people. Like, I, I was obviously getting into it in the comments a little bit about this because I feel very ardently that Ronnie Murcio is not a really great prospect. I didn't even have him in the top 10, and I honestly stand by that. Um, people are, and people are like, well, how can you criticize his, his plate discipline numbers or his swing decisions? Like, he doesn't strike out that much. It's like, okay. First of all, he walks 4% of the time. He's still walking 4% of the time in the, uh, the Dominican Winter League. There's no improvement there. And he's getting away with with having bet, enough bat-to-ball to just make a bunch of weak contact with shit. This is not dissimilar to – how do I phrase this? He, Ahmed Rosario is a very, very different prospect, but I think both he and Mauricio have this same sort of – a Skill slash flaw, where despite making generally poor swing decisions, their hand eye is good enough to get the bat on the ball uh, against minor league stuff and make a lot of weak contact. And uh, Ahmed was better at it than Mauricio is, which is why he didn't never struck out this much and had higher batting averages and has made it work in the majors. Marusio just kind of swings at everything and relies purely on his, his physical tools to put wood on ball and then have no real impact when doing so. It's like this is the most important skill, and he's made no progress in it for, since 2018. I, I don't know why we're still pretending that this is something that's going to magically going to get better.
5: If it does, great, but there's no projecting it anymore. Right. That's exactly. I mean, he's you can't he's baking the um, you can't bake in it growing into your evaluation anymore,
1: essentially. Right. That, I think that's the perfect way of why, you know, this year we are a lot lower on him than last year or the year before, especially because at a certain no. point you know, put up a shut up and yes, he's, young. No learning
5: has occurred here. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Like he's young. Yes. Okay. He's facing guys that are older than him, have more experience than him, all things that are valid, but there have been no visible signs of progress, which is not optimal.
0: Okay. So <clears throat> I'm looking at fan right now. Mm-hmm. Last year as a 21 year old, Ronnie Mauricio, like you said, hit 259, 296, 472, which is a 104 WRC plus. Ahmed Rosario, um, yes, Ahmed Rosario at 20 in 2016 in, in AA, hit 341, 392, 381. So, like, while Ahmed was a very flawed prospect because of the, the lack of walks and the not, he doesn't, didn't have crazy power, you know? Like that, you look at that and you just have to respect what he did. Like, like he he hit the shit out of the ball. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it, the problems for him wasn't that he wasn't talented. It's that his flaws got exacerbated when you get promoted because you're facing better stuff and everything else. And he's not a bad major league player. He's not an exceptionally good one. He wouldn't be the number one prospect in baseball today if we're looking at it and through. No. Modern. I I don't want to say modern because that's only seven years ago, but modern ways to look at prospects but he would be on the top 100 he would probably be in the back end of that but you you, you know what i mean and yeah. then the then then everything kind of feels a little different for him and then he repeated double a a little bit the next year oh sorry no he didn't um he got he got moved up to triple a and had he was worse 328 370 uh, 367 466 with the 116 wrc plus which isn't oh, horrible, obviously. like he wasn't terrible but you know and and the thing with Mauricio is just he doesn't even have the bat to ball skills either cuz he's hitting 250. Like I know yeah. batting average is an outdated stat, but when you're a prospect and you're hitting 250 in double A, uh, what are you going to do in the majors? You better you know, be hitting
5: for more more game
0: power than like, like it it's I'm not saying that you have to hit 300 to be a good major leaguer, that's not true, but even the guys who hit 250 in the majors were hitting three something in the minors because they were better than the minor league competition. And I just don't really know what you do with Mauricio either. That's the other weird part. Yeah. Like I think he, I think he's going to make the majors, but and I think he'll I don't think he'll be like a one and done guy or he'll never make it or whatever. He might bounce around some bad teams, but he gets the Javi Baez comp a lot. But Baez has like legendarily special bat to ball. Like Can I give Baez, you Baez is Baez a, is a complete
5: outlier. Complete outlet. Go ahead,
0: okay. Lucas. Here, it's a, it's here's Bias' um,
5: yeah. double A line
3: at 20 years old 294, 346, 638, with 20 home runs in 240 plate appearances.
1: Is the 600 that's, slugging percentage good?
3: It, it's 640 slugging <laughs> no.
1: percentage. That's a
3: 180 weighted. That's like. They are and, not and, comparable players. Running ratio does not have this raw, much raw power, speed, or defensive value.
0: And the thing is, like, I know, like, I was always a bias fan. Just the aesthetics of it were so fun. Like, a guy who just goes up there and doesn't give a shit, just swings, and and he made it work for a long time. But when I was watching him on the Mets, you could its obviously wasn't peak bias or anything. But you could see how peak bias was like, oh, yeah, this dude—the the way he makes contact and the, the type of stuff he makes contact with, it's—most people don't do that, you know? No. Like— I don't I don't want to see people comp hobby bias to anyone because that's like a one of one skill because otherwise that should not have worked. And that's
3: Do we lose Thomas mid sentence there? Oh damn. (laughs) Unfortunate. Uh, uh
1: Well, his point was that you can't you know you can't see Javi Baez's success and say, "Okay, Mauricio is going to follow that path." Because
3: like, if you want to talk about a prospect that's like Javi Baez in any way, it's Ellie De La Cruz, and Ellie De La Cruz is such a freak that he breaks like every evaluation scale you could possibly have because he whips. That's why in you don't
5: s- comp outliers? Yes,
3: <laughs> like
5: extremes.
3: There's a reason L.A. Cruz is like the fourth best prospect fifth best prospect in baseball, somewhere in the top 10 prospects in baseball. Like, he has the first of all, his decisions, I don't think, are even as bad as Mauricio. His whiff weight is worse, but he chases less, I think. Um But he has much more impact when he hits the ball in in, like orders of magnitude, more physical talent. And I'm not saying Mauricio isn't physically talented, but he's not in that echelon. Like there are there are not. The 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 accessory skills to buoy a profile with this sort of flaw are not really present. Like if he figures it out, he's going to be an okay like third baseman. Great. Wonderful! I'm I'm really excited. Like we haven't talked about his defense at all. I don't think he's a shortstop.
1: I think he's fine as a short. Like you don't need to be above average at everything. He's always shown enough range. His instincts, kind of.
5: I I put him in like the cabbie, um, category of like guy who, if you position him well enough, right, he can right. he can play there for a season.
1: I, I don't uh, think he's... ultimately I
5: see him playing third.
1: He's never gonna like be He's a, a big great play. shortstop, yeah. But he can play it. The arm is is you know enough good. So yeah, exactly. Like you know you can play a passable shortstop and it's good enough. But the problem is again now the bat. And if you have an eh shortstop with a major questionable bat, then it's just like, well, what do you have?
3: And I, and I would also, like, there's a lot of people who who come out and say, look, he's only 21. He has time to improve on this. And, yeah, he's 21. And, and I will admit, this is anecdotal. Like, I've not sat down and done the analysis to, to prove this. But I think it's pretty safe to say that this is the hardest part of hitting to actually improve. Like, we already talked about. Like, guys improve their power. Uh, guys improve their spray distribution. Um, we've seen guys improve on defense we've seen guys get faster G- improving your decisions to this degree and not just becoming more selective and and s- like if it was just a chase thing maybe i'd have more faith in it but it's not just a chase thing um so i i don't know i just have very little faith that that the magnitude of improvement he needs to make in this department is feasible or going to happen
1: yep that that period sums it up is that can he <clears throat> yeah he could in theory will he eh, good question my internet going out mid Ronnie Mauricio <laughs> rant is
0: very funny. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> much the, power, like his, the powers much, that
0: be have silenced you. Much, much like his his on base percentage, yep. my my internet my, my spectrum internet has crashed. Craters. Th- to,
3: Thomas was being to too positive about Mauricio, so I cut his internet <laughs> to stop. <laughs> and it wasn't
0: even. Like... I
3: know.
1: The <laughs> the. The big Mauricio lobby silenced you.
3: Uh-huh. The Mauricio cabal is here.
1: <laughs> I got
0: I got silenced by Big Ronnie, but <laughs> but in 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 all actuality, what I was what I was saying. I think when I got cut out because I wasn't sure when the internet went out. But it's just how you view him is, I think, how it's so different, or how you view a prospect. Like this is a guy Lucas will never like, even if he was correct, better than this. He would just, Like, the, the whole thing is just something that the way that Lucas looks at prospects would never like him, you know? Yep. And not saying that you're right or wrong or whatever. It's just this is – he's such a divisive prospect that I could – like, one of my friends really likes him because he's, like, the power and the, the athleticism and he can play shortstop. And I was like, I understand. Mm-hmm. But he literally does not hit the ball enough, so it doesn't yep. matter. You know what I mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's just – it's so there's just other there's different ways to look at prospects and he's one of the guys like you could look at a pitcher and be like well that's a good fastball and if it's a if you say it's a bad one and it's a good one then you're just wrong but with this it's almost the beauty is in the eye of the of the beholder and our comment section really likes the the loud tools that he has and he certainly has them like even when he's having a 100 wrc plus he's hitting 25 home runs but or whatever he hit I think it was 25 28. There's a lot. Some, that, that's a lot of home runs in the minor league. Like, that's really impressive. But when, when you watch the clips and he, he he's on his game, it's like, oh, wow. And I've seen him. I I've, I've went to go see him, and I'm like, wow, he looks really good today. And then you'll see him again, and you're like, wow, he looks horrible. And mm-hmm. it, it's like it almost depends on the on the look you get. It's So he's such a weird player because it's it could be anything <laughs> at any given time. But, yeah, it's just how you look at prospects, I think.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Like, I will eternally underrate a guy like Ahmed Rosario or Ronnie Mauricio because I just hate this profile. And I'll also probably overrate Jacob Bremer, um, <laughs> which, you know, played out in the way we submitted our rankings, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I'm I'm. Get back to me when his on base percentage starts with a three. How about that? Like, that, that's just where I'm at with Mauricio at this point.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't really care about the batting average if he walked. Yeah, I don't give Cause a then, shit. Because like, then I'd be like, oh, cool. He's a walk-powered, athletic sort shortstop who you move to third base or whatever, or out of the outfield because of Lindor.
3: But, if he if he walked, if you gave Ronnie Mauricio, I'm trying to come up with an example in the Mets' system. Oh, uh, God. I'm struggling. Don't really Maybe have a system of, is not
1: the best system to use. I don't
3: have a lot of patient hitters, really. Like Alvarez isn't patient. Beatty is fine. Whatever. Let's say you gave him like Brett Beatty's walk rate. I would love yeah. this prospect. Then be like, oh shit, he's only going to bat two thirty, but I don't really care because he's on his on base percentage is three fifty. is has a ton of power, and I can squint and put him at shortstop. That's like a global top fifty ish prospect. But he's seven points of walk rate right away from that, and that's a big deal. Yeah.
1: Well, we'll see. Obviously, we hope that uh, Mauricio takes those steps. I don't think we have much faith, but he's open. Okay, round two. Name something
2: that's not boring.
5: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
2: Ah. Oh.
0: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost
2: track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18
1: plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, next up at number eight is third baseman Mark Vientos. And he feels like he's been around forever. Uh, He was drafted in 2017. He's worked his way up the system. And this past year, he hit 280, 358, 519. We had 24 home runs in 101 games in Syracuse, uh, 44 walks, and 122 strikeouts. Started the season a bit slow, but got on a roll after um, about a month or so. And he ended the year basically in the the top – he was actually uh, in the top thirteenth to be specific in the international league and OPS adjusted to players who played at least you know seventy five games in the league, basically you know majority of the season. um so yeah, it, it's it's hard to say if the book on vientos is is closed because he literally you know he literally did turn just twenty three like a month and a half ago or so but we have a few seasons of data now. And they all more or less say the same exact thing. He starts out slow, takes a couple of weeks to adjust. Um, he's got light tower power, especially the opposite field, because he's he's a strong dude and he has a long swing. But that long swing that generates a lot of power could be taken advantage of by, um, you know, above average velocity or good breaking stuff. And that has been the case in the past. Complicating things, of course, is. The fact that, you know, as a third baseman, he is a negative defender. And if he was a better defensive player, okay, you know, you could say, well, you know, there's more breathing room, whatever. But he really does not provide any kind of positive defensive value. So all of his worth is tied to the bat. And, you know, the, the kind of player that he is with that kind of profile, there are questions as to whether or not it will translate at the major league level in the minor league level against double a pitching against triple a pitching, he's destroyed them. And that's great. Major league pitching is, is a whole different beast altogether. I don't know. You know, his numbers are eerily similar to Bryce Brent's, the former Red Sox prospect. He never panned out.
3: That's a name.
1: Yeah. Jeez. At the same time, (laughs) at the same time though, they also profile. (laughs) No, but they also profile very similar to Nolan Gorman. And, you know, he's hasn't been written off yet, and he still has a promising future ahead of him. So we can keep our fingers crossed. And unlike Ronnie Mauricio we were just talking about, who has a lot of the same issues with strikeouts and walks, at least Vientos, A, he does take a walk, and B, he does have a track record of success. So I don't know.
3: I mean, Vientos's problem is not as much approach, just... Whiff rate in zone, right? He makes yeah. like, wait, you, you can really divide like you can subdivide this this concept further and further, but at least in my mind, there's two big decisions, big groups, right? You make decisions, and then you have contact questions. ron Maricio is good at contact and terrible at decisions. I think Mark Mientos is actually okay at decisions, except like bad right on right matchups, like yeah, he, he gets eaten <laughs> up by whatever that's like normal guys can improve at that aspect of it but he really struggles with in-zone contact rate and that's concerning um that's not something i would expect him to improve a ton um i think there's certainly more utility like i like is it weird that i'm higher on him after this past season than i was going into 2022 because i feel like most people are the opposite after last season.
1: Um, I mean, you could look at it two ways. You could say, after the past season, you can say, okay, here's all of the flaws that I've seen in him at AAA, and that's not going to play at the major league level. Or you could say, look, another year where he succeeded, not only succeeded, but dominated at the highest levels of the minor leagues. So, I don't know, I guess it depends on if you're pessimistic or optimistic.
3: And I think, like, Look, there are a lot of underlying problems with his triple A numbers. Right, his ground ball rate is was very high. Like I said, the contact rates were bad. The exit velocity numbers are good, but not outstanding. Um, he has big splits too. Yep. Yeah, you're probably looking at like a right-right platoon bat, and that's not something super exciting. But it's also a little bit more than I thought he was. Like I wasn't even convinced he would be that, and now I kind of do think he'd function just fine as a righty platoon mat maybe not immediately like you got to give him a little adjustment period but I don't I I wouldn't hate having Mark Fientos
0: on the bench I think that he's going to end up there by the end of the year in some capacity yeah
3: I mean if Ruff looks just as cooked in spring training I think there's a chance to carry him out of uh, carry him north
0: I mean isn't that what Sam's going to do
3: yeah theoretically I guess (laughs) Um I mean Fam's. Oh,
0: he hit lefties pretty well last year. He had mm-hmm. pretty severe splits. But he yeah, yeah, I mean, like you said, there's a non zero chance Fam was gonna have to play outfield for it. Marte had surgery I don't mm-hmm. know when, I don't remember, but it was East enough to they don't know how he's gonna start camp, so I there's don't know what the hell they're gonna to do that.
3: with the with the bench, right? Like are you gonna take yeah, we have, uh, are you gonna take Vientos, are you gonna take Alvarez? Like I don't I don't know what the hell are you gonna just keep rough and roll with it and hope like And
0: and see if rough it's actually bad or mm-hmm. if it was just a bad luck thing and you could do well. there's a lot of breathing room.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: But um I don't know. I don't like Vientos, but also I understand that he is a player who will play a lot of major league games for someone whether it's the Mets or someone else, like a team will roster him as half a DH, even if it's like the Pirates or the Athletics or something. Like, that's not nothing. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't like him, but he's going to... There isn't more, way more of a chance Vientos is uh, more productive for the 2023 Mets than Ronnie Mauricio is, or for the 2024 Mets than Ronnie, Ronnie Mauricio is, too. Just out of pure... There's a if you shelter him in what he's doing enough, he'll mm-hmm. be fine. Yep. Just have to be smart about it.
3: And like I think I think we also at least for me, I find myself thinking about these prospects as if the Mets as if we're dealing with the old Mets still, where they would be thinking about giving the third base job to someone like Mark Vientos, and that would be a disaster. But no, yeah. with a competently run organization, it's a nice piece <laughs> it's piece to have around, right? Like again, you're not gonna if if Pete Alonso pulls a hammy and has to miss two to three weeks, you can live with Mark Vientos being on the major league roster. Like, it's not Pete Alonso, but it'll be fine.
0: Probably. It's not it's not uh whoever the hell they would normally have out there either. Uh
3: they've had a lot of journeyman first basemen hanging out at a
0: it's not James Loney. <laughs> uh,
3: who was the dude that I know I was clamoring for them to call up and then they traded to the Padres? This was in like the teens somewhere. Dykstra or something like that?
1: Oh. oh what? Cutter Dykstra? No. It was like a that. Cutter Dykstra, but I don't remember. It <sighs> was two Dykstras. One was Lenny's son, the other one was not. I
3: don't think it was that. Uh. No, it wasn't,
1: wasn't. What position?
3: It was, a, it was, it was like a, a first baseman who was mashing in AAA, and then they wound up sending him to the Padres in like a minor deal. Um, mm. I'm absolutely failing to come up with it. Anyway, like they've had a lot of random ass AAA first baseman, and Vientos would be a better option as like a temporary injury replacement than any of them.
1: Yep. All right. Next up, coming in at number seven is outfielder Alexander Ramirez. He was signed by the Mets at the uh, the start of the 2019 to 2020 international signing period. He was their main the main guy that year. COVID obviously happened and it complicated things. Um, so when the 2021 season started, the Mets basically they said screw it and they threw Alex Ramirez into the deep end and skipped him over the DSL completely they you know i am assuming that he looked good in extended spring training for them to do this but they basically threw him uh, and, and rostered him at St. Lucie without having any organized baseball experience whatsoever and he basically held his own um, which is great he hit 258 326 384 uh, five home runs, five, 15 stolen bases, and 23 walks to 104 strikeouts. And then this past season, he started the year of St. Lucie, and he played his way up to Brooklyn. He had a pretty similar season, um, a little bit better, which is good. You want to see that. He hit 281, 346, 436 with 11 homers, 21 stolen bases, and 44 walks to 122 strikeouts. And Ramirez is super toolsy. He has a hit tool that projects hopefully to be average. Um, Power projects to be average. Speed is above average, borderline plus. Arm is above average. Fielding is above average. Basically, all the ingredients are there to kind of be a Starling Marte-ish player to replace Starling Marte when his contract expires in a couple years. The thing is. And similar to the guy, similar to Mauricio, in that the biggest issue with him taking the next step forward is his ability to put wood on ball. Ramirez is a kind of funky swing. And when I said that his hit tool projects to be average ish, maybe that's kind of being a little generous. But he's also very young at this point. So we don't know if the weird swing that he has is going to be something that he just does and he's able to do it because you know he has the bat speed and the strength and all that or once he's now starts seeing you know better curveballs and sliders and changeups and everything in in double a presumably next year if that's you know they're going to eat him alive it's a weird swing it's hard to explain you just have to like see a video of it it's like Kevin Prada-level weird. Kevin Prada obviously made it work in college, and, you know, Alexander Ramirez has made it work at the minor, lower levels of the minors so far. Next year is going to be the test.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm less concerned about how the swing looks and more concerned that I think his performance was... Like the the underlying metrics of his performance were not in line with with the top line numbers, I think is a fair way to put it. Um, he's nice. I, I'm not as high on Ramirez as as you guys are. I don't think.
0: I like him. He's interesting to me. But yeah, like it's not like he's a perfect prospect, and it's not like the underlying stuff isn't concerning. I just think there's room to be excited for him about him. I mean, and also. Understand that those numbers got to get better, but also he's young.
3: I it's like if you guys with weird swings make it work. Um, I mean, this really fits into what Thomas said about Mauricio. Like, this is not a guy I'm going to like as much, right? I don't think the uh decisions are great, and uh, I mean, maybe this is actually a swing thing. Like, don't know that his launch angles are ever going to be particularly optimized, but we'll see. Um, he's a dude who I think you could really try to capitalize on on his value now uh, by trading him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know for what exactly. The team's pretty
0: good at the major league level, but I think we're past that for the off season. Yeah. Uh, just unless something crazy happens, like these are the teams that we'll be rolling with most of time, most of the way. And with in regards to other teams, I mean, like. I don't think anyone's trying to make sweeping major league changes to their roster now. There's just no way. No, no. Unless someone's – you're, you're – not even with salary cap stuff because it's all that stuff over. Not salary cap, l- luxury tax contract stuff. Like all that, mm-hmm. all those decisions are made. So mm-hmm. like I think if, you, if you're at the deadline and someone's dangling a very good bat, you're like, well, hey, the Mets are in first place. Let's go win a World Series, you know.
3: Mm-hmm. Pirates want would, to dangle uh, Will Bednar, I'll go trade Alex Ramirez for him in a heartbeat.
0: Sure. And like that's that's the type of stuff where I could see him also being reliable. Or not 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 reliable. Um Valuable. Valuable, valuable yes, there we go. Thank you. I I I, I knew it was an valuable word. Sorry, not Will <laughs> Bednar, <laughs>
3: David Bednar. David, yes. David, yes. yes Will yes, Bednar yes. is the mediocre giants prospect.
1: And but yes, Alan, um, Alan Dykstra is he the first base yes, guy you're talking that's about? that's it, Alan Dykstra. <laughs> Thank you.
4: I've been
3: trying to pull up Syracuse rosters this whole time
1: because they weren't in Syracuse. I didn't. Yeah, <gasps> they, they were in, Allen, in
3: so
4: Vegas. Vegas. Vegas.
3: That's yep. why. God damn, Alan Dykstra is 35 we, years old now. Jesus. We are
0: Alan Dykstra posting. I wonder where he's up. If If, if you're listening, Alan Dykstra, you had fans at. Amazing
3: Avenue. Oh, I guess he went to Tampa, not the Padres. But yeah, he, like, murdered. Uh, this was during, like, the peak Ike versus uh, Duda debates. And I'm like, Alan Dykstra. <laughs> and <he> never <laughs> con-
0: Consider a third option. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Put him in center. Him.
3: Um, well, he did kill. Like, he had a once. His twenty twelve to twenty fourteen. We're really off track now. He had a one forty one weighted in double A, then a one sixty four again in double A, and then a one forty five in triple A. Like dude was mashing in the minors. Um but whatever. <laughs> oh, I thought he was a Padre because he came from the Padres yeah, originally. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'm not insane.
1: Okay. There's a connection. All right. Um now last guy we're going to discuss this week coming in at number 6 is right-handed pitcher Blade Tidwell. And the Mets drafted him this past season with their second round pick. He was the 52nd player selected overall. He was projected to go much higher um mm. in in some of the earlier mock drafts. Some of them had him going like the early to mid teens and one of mm-hmm. the first college pitchers, one of the first college pitchers coming off the board, but just basically, right before the season started, it was announced that he was going to um, miss the start miss the start of the season due to a shoulder injury. It wasn't um, it wasn't bad enough that he was going to need surgery, but it was one of those things where you know just let uh, time heal it. So he missed about two months or so, and then when he was able to finally get back on the field for Tennessee, he was treated with kid gloves. You know, basically throwing an inning. Or so an outing, but by the the end of the season, like May-ish or whatever, he was throwing multiple innings. He still never really threw that many innings. The most he threw in a single game was like seven, most of them like three-inning, four-inning kind of deals. Um, but, you know, in, in the limited innings that he did throw, he looked good. So the Mets selected him. And then in the limited innings that he's thrown with the Mets so far, he's looked good. Uh, he has 19 innings total between the FCL Mets and St. Lucie in the regular season, and then St. Lucie doing the championship run. He has thrown 19 innings in total. He's given up two runs on nine hits, nine walks, and 24 strikeouts. Um, stuff wise, I mean, you can't argue with the stuff. Um, fastball sits in like the mid 90s, it tops out in 98 or so. Um, the 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 fast, uh, excuse me, the four seamer. It has you know above average spin rates and ride. The two seamer. It has arm side life and sink. Um, good fastball. Secondary pitch. The best one that he throws is a slider. Very sharp vertical drop. Little bit of horizontal slice, and it gets tons of strikeouts. Curveball. You know it, it has similar movement, but it doesn't have that razor sharp movement like the slider does. It's a, it's a little bit bigger, um, but it also gets swings and misses. The changeup. Pretty solid pitch, um, by itself. And really, the only issue is that, not that he struggles to throw it, but he telegraphs it. And in theory, anyway, that's a fairly easy fix. Yeah. Yep. So, like the biggest thing I guess with Blade Tidwell, if you want to look at the negatives here, is that you know, similar to what we were talking about Dominic Hamill, there are some concerns about his command because the pitches move a lot, so you know they're harder to command. Um. His control is good like he could throw the ball in the zone and you know a lot of times you know he won't hit his spot but it'll still be in the zone and you know sometimes that's good because okay cool you can sneak a, a strike but a lot of times it's not good because you just threw a big fat pitch and it's in the strike zone and that's yeah. gonna that's gonna get hit um so you know just he needs to command the pitches better and also we can't overlook this is the fact that he's coming off of his uh, a shoulder uh, soldier injury, and yeah, so far it looks like he's recovered fine you know we haven't heard about any soreness the the performance was obviously great but you know shoulder injuries are shoulder injuries and he's a pitcher so it's not something that we can just you know completely ignore even though he really hasn't shown any kind of um lingering issues with it yeah i really
0: like this pick because i think he's a first-round talent easily that fell because of injuries and Mm if you're the mets you take that swing because you got your two first-round talents in the first round that we'll talk about next week and you're still able to add basically a third one obviously it has some red flags in terms of medicals but They're all pictures, man. They all have (laughs) reflex because of their medicals. Even the ones who are healthy, you know, it's just not a natural bodily function. So I'm not too concerned about not not that I'm not too concerned about it, but it's more like I it wouldn't have detracted me from drafting him either. If he's there in the second, it's easy money for me. I think if he's
3: if he's healthy, here here's the question, right? How if he's healthy, how high does he go in the first round? Which is we hard to say because there was so much weird stuff in the draft this year, like.
0: And also, we don't know how good he would have been. Like, if yep. he, yeah, yeah. If, if if he pitched and was amazing, then we're looking at top ten, fifteen. I, mean, I like
3: I like him more than Cade Horton. I like him more than Gabriel Hughes. I think maybe that's a hot take.
1: Like, I, I, could I think very, that I think that Tidwell is definitely a guy that. It has been and maybe will continue to be overlooked by, you know, like just on people on a national level until all of a sudden, you know, he's ending the season with like a, a 2.3 ERA in, you know,
4: mm-hmm.
1: 100 innings with 13 Ks for nine and and four walks for nine or something like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And all like of a sudden people are like, walk, oh, shit, like, wow, this guy's good.
3: You also have to give him time to, at least in my mind, I need more time between the present and the shoulder injury for me to be confident that he will stay healthy. And that's a big component to ranking him higher. Right. Like like, the further he gets away from that recovery, the more, like, I'm never going to fully trust the shoulder, but I'll be like, okay, it seems like it's holding up. This is going well. The stuff isn't backing up. Um, i I really liked this pick at the time I think the early returns have looked quite good and if he stays healthy this is a a, a real nice pickup uh, like kudos on this pick that was very well done um,
0: yeah it's just a really good way to um it's just a really good way to um in get more talent in the system in a system that really needs it and i think Obviously, the Kumar Rocker stuff had a very bad... Like, that draft is terrible now. (laughs) Because you didn't really get anyone from it. But Rocker isn't probably not good. And then you're getting three high-end... Like, I'd rather Tidwell than Rocker. Easily. I don't even think that's much of a question among any circles at this point. No, yeah, easily for me.
3: Now, there is a question there of how much is that the Rangers fucking him up because they don't know what they're doing. But, yeah, I, I,
0: I... I definitely blame them. I'm not saying it's Rocker's fault. I think it's the Rangers not knowing what they're doing yeah. because that's pretty much a very common thread among their prospects. But they kind of save that. I think that helps not save it. But when you walk, they walked away with last draft with three first-round talents, and mm-hmm. they got one because they were able to say, "Hey, I know your shoulder is a little borked and you barely pitched this year, but for another team, who only had that one pick. They don't. They can't take the risk." On a second rounder. They need that to be safer. But mm-hmm. when you take. Parada who fell to you. And we'll talk about that next week. But fell to you. And is a really good prospect. And one that nobody expected you to get. And then Jet Williams. Who I felt like. Everyone expected the Mets to get. Mm-hmm. But is a guy that everyone really. Like a lot of people. High school level. Evaluators really like. And I've grown to really understand it. And get it. But. Then you could do that. You could. You could. Uh, draft a guy like this. Because you have risk baked in. I feel like Mets
3: again. I, I like going back to what the old Mets would have done here, like previous regimes. Like I feel like in this spot, instead of taking an interesting gamble on a dude with, uh, I haven't, I don't actually know whether his at least it, it to my visual inspection seems like analytically friendly stuff. I've not pulled the numbers on it, but old Mets teams would wound up taking like. Tyler Locklear, a corner bat who performed in college, or maybe they would have been the ones to grab Ben Joyce or, oh, there was another name, or Kay Dowdy, right? They would have picked one of these yeah, college exactly. performers who would almost certainly not go anywhere. And I don't want to prickle like, who knows what happens with these guys, but they, they're doing more intelligent things with these picks and i think tidwell is both really indicative of that and seems to actually be working like good process and they're getting a, a the results are pointing in the right direction
4: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and i feel like i've said this every week since we talked about the draft but just keep doing this and eventually the players will hit even if these individual guys don't hit mm-hmm. in two three four years you will get guys who will and then you combine that with the yep. money and you got a mm-hmm. real, you got a real stew going.
3: Yep. Yep. And they, and they got a, like they're, they're, it's the, the it's on them to improve their development pipelines now, right? Like, okay, you're, you're doing smarter mm-hmm. things in the draft. Your amateur acquisition is better. Now figure out your development processes and actually make a good stew instead of a bland, boring mess of disappointment. And, and,
0: and to their credit, they seem to be hiring a lot of people. Yep. Um, yep. They seem to be – I feel like every week or two weeks or so now we're getting the tweets from some guy who works at some facility who's like, oh, I can't wait to be the Mets AAA coach. I can't wait to get started. I'm like, oh, OK, cool. The like Mets are paying
3: me like three times the going rate for <laughs> this <laughs> position. So that exactly, that I can, because,
0: yeah. because they know that they want me here, which is a good thing. That's, what, mm-hmm. that's another part of Steve's money that we don't – fans don't see but will absolutely help in ways that we don't even – We can't even fathom. Yep. Which is also not doing anything for his bank account at all. Like Cohen doesn't give a shit about any. Like that's like he makes that he made it back by the time he signed the contract. (laughs)
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. Correct.
1: Now here's an interesting question. I was just thinking of. Obviously, you know, we we can't say the players that are ranked ahead of Tidwell. We haven't gotten there yet, but. An astute observer can put two and two together and figure out the five guys that haven't been talked about that are, you know, still out there.
5: We Ken know Wig, Steve, can I get the one hint? Can Luis I get Top three. It's
3: not Nick Morbido. Please stop talking ah, about no. Nick Morbido. why did you? Ah, well, damn,
1: <laughs> we were. You so gave cool. it
3: away.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Number one <laughs> overall prospect, Nick Morbido. <laughs>
1: You want to say we're edgelords? This is it's, edgy, baby. You know, it's more,
3: my favorite prospect in the system is when Nick Morobito said, it's Morbin' time, and Morbed all over the other prospects.
1: Um. So we know who's ahead of Tidwell. We know who is behind Tidwell. Based on, presumably, who is going to lose their rookie eligibility, their prospect eligibility that are ranked ahead of Tidwell, and the guys that are ranked below Tidwell. Mm. What are the odds that Blade Tidwell is the Mets' number one prospect next season? One? Yeah, less,
3: yeah. Than, less than five.
1: Really? You think I think
0: that... he'll be top three.
3: Yes. Um, yeah, if you had said third, I would give you a pretty high number, but—, but...
0: One and two, It's. I have two guys in mind specifically mm-hmm. that I think will be one and two.
3: I don't think there's any way either of them graduate. Like, There's a, there's like 0% chance one of them graduates and a very right. low chance that another, well, the other one does.
1: Uh, the two guys that we're all talking about, that again, I'm sure it's not that difficult to put two and two together to figure out who they are. Neither one of them is going to graduate, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you. No. the system, something would have to be, I don't know what would have to happen and it, it would I'd have to be amazing or terrible and i don't yeah.
0: know which is <laughs> more likely <laughs> yeah.
3: i don't i don't see that happening now if you want if the question is is he going to be the third best prospect in the system i think there's a real strong chance that that's where he third best prospect and like let's say back end or borderline top 100 guy
0: yep that's what i think is going to end up yeah happening for
3: him. It, 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 like i literally I, I don't think that's a uh, even at all that bold of a take to say, if his shoulder is healthy, played Tidwell, will be a back-end top-100 prospect next year. Agree. Now, that is a big if, unfortunately, because shoulder injuries <laughs> are just awful. Like,
1: <laughs> right, I mean... They're this, terrible. This whole thought experiment can go... Pfft when it's announced in two days that his shoulder just gave out and Look, you know he's there, getting rotator cuff surgery.
3: There's a reason every BP pitcher blurb since like 2018 ends with also he's a pitcher in some way or another. <laughs> yep. Like it's just the reality.
1: I, I'm, I'm more bullish. I think that there is a, I think that one player is pretty much guaranteed to be the top prospect next year, assuming that, you know, players graduate and everything like that. I think the second player does not have as big a chance as Tidwell does.
3: I, Assuming I know the ordering you're implying, and this will be an interesting discussion next week, I really disagree with what you're saying. Mm.
1: Well, we'll see. I mean, also, I have much less of a—I put more of an emphasis on proximity Mm -hmm. than I do— And, you know, one player that we're talking about, he happens to be pretty low in terms of proximity. And so I have the list in front of me. I'm trying to look where everyone else rated. And I I was the lowest man on him, ranking him. So Mm it makes sense. This should be fun to talk about next week then. Yeah, Yeah, well, we will have a good discussion. Definitely. I don't have to
3: think about Ronnie Mauricio again until next year when we do this (laughs) all over again.
1: Well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address. For now, uh, from ComplexToQueens at com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Seipa. Lucas is at ElValajos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at SadMetSeasonSZN. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from rate and review it and of course we thank you for listening and we will be back next week so until then love the mets love the mets